Well, my wife has told me that you all would benefit from seeing my face whenever I'm preaching. I don't know why that would be the case. Um, but we have tried to uh, chart a course where everyone feels comfortable worshiping together. And I don't want anyone to feel out of place, whether you're wearing a mask or not this morning. But if everyone is okay with it, I'll preach so you can see my face this morning. We'll see whether it helps uh, or detracts from the preaching of the gospel. <laughs> Some authors have a difficult time getting to the point. Chapter 1 of the French novel Les Miserables begins with this statement from the narrator. There is something we might mention that has no bearing whatsoever on the tale we have to tell, not even on the background. Victor Hugo begins his seminal work, the most famous French novel ever written, with a 50-page rabbit trail. In fact, we might say that Les Mis is a grand exercise in mentioning things that have no bearing whatsoever on the tale he has to tell. Hugo's genius is that he has a difficult time getting to the point, which is how you end up with a novel that is five volumes and 1,200 pages long. Thank goodness this is not the case for the author of Hebrews. Perhaps last week in chapter 7, you felt your eyes begin to glaze over as he was going on and on in detail about this obscure priest named Melchizedek and all the particulars of his life, and you began to wonder whether this has no bearing whatsoever on the tale he has to tell, even on the background. Thankfully, this morning, we begin chapter 8 in the author of Hebrews, takes us by the lapels of our jacket and shakes us awake and says, this is the point. It all has something to do with what I want to tell you. This is not a rabbit trail. This relates directly to my argument, verse 1 of chapter 8. Now the point of what we are saying is this. So if you haven't already, turn with me to, to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to get right to the point this morning, and the point of chapter 8 is this. Newer is better. Newer is better. When it comes to the covenants of God, newer is better. Let's stand together as we continue our journey through the book of Hebrews, beginning in chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, 
Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Chapter 1 opens with this statement. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. We get right to the point. The point is, we have such a high priest. Jesus is now our great high priest. But the task that lays ahead for our author is convincing us and convincing his readers that this is actually a good thing. In fact, a better thing. There's a reason why this book is called Hebrews. It's because it's assumed that a vast majority of the original audience were Hebrews, as in Israelites, as in those who already had a temple, those who already had priests, those who already had sacrifices and offerings. Why should they abandon their temple, their priests, their law and sacrifices and centuries of tradition and embrace Jesus? Well, his argument boils down to this. Jesus is new, and newer is better. That's the point. This word, better, perhaps you've heard it already, but it's going to continue to echo through the rest of the book. We are sure of a better thing in chapter 6. A better hope in chapter 7. A better covenant in chapter 7. The covenant he mediates is better in chapter 8. Better promises in chapter 8. Better sacrifices in chapter 9. A better possession in chapter 10. A better country in chapter 11. A better life in chapter 11. Something better for us. A better word in chapter 12. The point is newer is better. And if the point is that we have such a new high priest and his name is Jesus, then the argument for why we should abandon all hope in any other priests 
and cling to Jesus is summed up in verse 6. Look at it with me. But as it is, Christ has attained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Here in verse 6, we're told that Jesus has three better things. A better ministry. Secondly, under a better covenant. Enacted thirdly on better promises. Better ministry, a better covenant, and better promises. So let's look at each of those three things and see whether our hearts are convinced that we need to grab a hold of Jesus, this new great high priest. Number one, Jesus has a better ministry. And we see that beginning to be laid out in verses 1 and 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. As human beings, we're used to seeing human beings entering churches and temples and tabernacles and doing all kinds of religious duties and serving before altars and making sacrifices and collecting gifts and performing religious rites on earth. We're used to that. That's what all religions do. But our author says something better has happened in Jesus Christ. He says there is a fully human being today who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. A 100% flesh and blood man is ruling and presiding and ministering in a heavenly tent in the presence of God. Well, that's something new. That's never happened before. Every other priest either of the true God or of false gods, until Jesus came, ministered in earthly tents, in temples that were made by people like you and me. The author of Hebrews says, Jesus has a better ministry because guess what? He's ministering in the true tent, not one that we have made, but that the Lord himself has built. It doesn't matter what way you slice it, Jesus has a better ministry than any priest you want to put up against him. He's got a better ministry. And in his better ministry, he offers better sacrifices and offerings than any priest in history. Look at verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest, namely Jesus, also to have something to offer. Shoemakers, by definition, make shoes. Mechanics, by definition, repair cars. Salesmen, by definition, sell stuff. And priests, by definition, offer gifts and sacrifices. That's what they do. That's what they're, that's what they're for. And we see this when we read the Old Testament. We see the priests, and they're set up to do what? Offer sacrifices and gifts. But what they are doing 
is only a shadow. The author of Hebrews says, in fact, they were serving in a replica of the real thing. What Moses built the people in the wilderness was only an imitation of the true thing. And Jesus has entered the real thing, the true tent in heaven, with this better ministry, and he brings with him better sacrifices and offerings than the ones that were offered under the old covenant. What, what kind of offerings came into the temple? Sheep, goats, bulls, grain, wine. In his better ministry, Jesus offers to God a singular sacrifice himself. Jesus versus lambs, goats, bulls. Which one's better, do you think? It's not even a competition. Jesus has a better ministry because he offers a sacrifice of himself and he offers better gifts. Do you know what gifts he comes into the presence of the Lord to offer up? You and me. Us. He has one sacrifice to offer, and that's himself. He has many gifts to offer, and that's us. We are the son's gifts to the Father. When Jesus, this priest enters into the true tent he offers up himself once for all time we read this in chapter 7 verse 27 he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all time when he offered up himself jesus offering himself once is infinitely better than all the other offerings and sacrifices made forever in the Old Covenant. A better ministry. But then he goes on repeatedly to offer up gifts, and, and that's us. Jesus carries us saved, sanctified, made pure, and holy. And he presents us to the Father. Do you think that in the history of ever, the Father has been displeased with a single gift that the Son has offered up to him? Never. When the Son appears in the heavenly tent in the most high place before the majesty on high, and the Son says, here I am, I and the children that God has given me, do you think God is like, you know, Jesus, that wasn't really what I had in mind? The mind of Christ is the mind of God. The Son only offers perfectly what the Father perfectly desires. And so when he gathers us up, poor, needy, sinful, broken though we are, and he purifies us by his blood, and he secures our forgiveness by the offering of himself, and he marches into the Holy of Holies before the throne of the majesty on high. And he presents us to the Father. There's nothing that's going to happen other than that God is going to be well pleased. Perfectly pleased. In the Son offering us. Brothers and sisters. 
you may this morning be holding on to the last thread of faith that you have. But the truth is, Jesus has a better ministry. He offers you as an eternal gift to God. And because of Jesus' better ministry, never in the history of ever will the Father reject you. Let me let you in on a little secret. God actually is kind of picky in his tastes. God doesn't actually want the offerings made under the law. That's not what he likes. He has specific tastes and preferences. He doesn't want bulls and goats and oxen. He wants us. He is preferential to broken and contrite hearts. His great delight is in those who obey his voice. His greatest pleasure is in an offering of an open ear. And those aren't my words. Those are the words of the scriptures in the Old Testament. And Jesus has come so that he might take these things that so delight the majesty on high and so that he can offer them up. You better believe when Jesus serves them up, he knows just how God likes them. Our repentant hearts, our open ears, our obedient lives. And he knows how to make them perfectly acceptable to the Father. Jesus has a better ministry. There's no denying it. However, if we can accept that Jesus has a better ministry, this must mean that a better covenant is now in place. Because under the old covenant, we talked about this last week, and it's brought up again in verse 4, under the old covenant, Jesus is disqualified to serve as priest. Verse 4. Now, if he, that is Jesus, were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. But if he is a priest, and we believe he has a better ministry, then that must mean that a better covenant has arrived. Verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. What we're going to see in verses 7 through 10 is the unfolding of this better covenant. The first thing that's better about this covenant is that it has no faults. No faults. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second why do you look for a second lawnmower? Is it because your first one is operating perfectly and it trims the lawn perfect, no blade out of place? It never, it starts on the first crank every time and you've never had any issues with it? Is that why you look for a second one? No. You look for a second lawnmower, a new one, because the old one is all worn out. The old one has faults. The old one cuts gashes in the lawn whenever you turn. The old one won't start. The old one won't cut straight, won't turn, won't work. And this prophecy from Jeremiah 31 about a new one, a new covenant coming, encourages us to recognize the faults in the first one 
must mean there's a second one. We've got to start looking for a second one. Why would we look for a new one except that there's something wrong with the old one? You don't replace what ain't broke. You don't replace the roof because the shingles are doing well. You replace the roof because the old shingles are worn out. You buy a new washing machine because the old one isn't washing the clothes anymore. And the expectation when you replace the old one with the new, in this world this isn't always the case, but with God it is, the new one is going to be better than the old one. Why would God replace something he established, he made, unless the thing he's replacing it with, the new thing, is better than the old one? Well, the question then is, what was broken about the old covenant? Why do we need a better one? Where does the fault lie? Verse 8. For he finds fault with them. Well, who's the them in that statement? Well, let's keep reading. He finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. So who ruined the old covenant? God? No. Did God establish something that was fundamentally flawed? No. The fault lies with them. The fault lies with God's people. The problem with the law isn't God. It's us. Any relationship established with a broken, sinful, faulty, unfaithful people, guess what? It is going to be Broken, faulty, unfaithful. And that is the fault with the old covenant. It does nothing to fix you and me. And until we're fixed, any relationship God tries to establish between us and him is going to be broken. Not on his end, but on ours. And this is why the new covenant is better because the new covenant is going to fix broken people. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I'm going to put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The fault of the old covenant was not that God had made faulty promises. It was that he had made promises to a faulty people. A people with wayward hearts and sinful minds. And unfaithful people will break any covenant that God makes with them. The good news about this better covenant is that the new covenant fixes the people. Namely, it makes people faithful who were once unfaithful. And because of that, this new covenant is faultless and better 
I will be their God. They will be my people. The relationship he's laying out here is not new. What is new is the tether that is going to hold these two parties together. This is the newness of it. What is the tether in this new covenant that holds God together with his people in an unbreakable vow? What is this wedding band that can never be broken? It's Christ Jesus, the mediator, the great high priest, the anchor of our souls. He has latched onto us by his spirit, and he has gone into the holy place and latched onto God, and there is nothing that will break that bond forever and ever. A better covenant. Do you want to belong to God? Do you want to have a relationship with the God who made you? Do you want him to hold on to you forever and never let go? Guess what? God wants that too. And that's why he has sent Jesus to mediate a better covenant. That's why he's writing his covenant not on stone tablets, but on the tablets of our hearts. And not just putting his law on pages, but writing them on our minds so that we will always be his forever and ever. Jesus has a better ministry under a better covenant enacted thirdly on better promises. And we hear the better promise in verse 11. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them all the way up to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is the better promise. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For some reason this morning, I can't but hear uh, the voice of Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast singing. Uh, there's something there that wasn't there before. What is it in this covenant that's here that wasn't there in the old covenant? It's this allness. The allness is there. There's an allness to this promise that wasn't there before. Were all God's people allowed into the most holy place before? No way. Only one, and only one day a year. Did all the people remain faithful to their God? No, none of them. <laughs> Did all the Old Testament Israel know the Lord? No way. But now we have a better promise. God says, all. All. Every member of this new covenant will have a new heart. All of them, from the least all the way up to the greatest, will know the Lord. Tom Schreiner says, notice that Jeremiah says, this is true from the least to the greatest. In other words, there is no exception. What is it then under this better promise that all of us are going to experience? 
What is it that we all know about God? From the least to the greatest, we are all united in what knowledge about God? We know this God, the Lord, to be the God who says this. I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no longer. This is the one thing that I know about this God. He's the God who's forgiven you. And that is what we can all say. Imagine if you owed your boss, let's call him Mr. Carl Wilson. Let's say you owed Mr. Carl $10 million. And over the course of several years, you know, you, you had been, kept getting pay advances from him. And the sad thing is you weren't even using this money for good stuff. You were going out on the weekends and carousing at bars with all kinds of unsightly characters and gambling it away and spending it on lavish uh, living and doing all kinds of wicked things. And every time your cash ran out, you came to your boss and you said, ah, can I get an advance on this week's paycheck? And for some reason, he kept giving it to you. You finally sober up and you begin to settle your accounts and you realize you have got a money problem. You owe Mr. Carl Wilson $10 million. And even if he seized every dollar that you earned from him for the rest of your life, you wouldn't even come close not even a drop in the bucket to paying off the debts that you owed him. You get an email in your inbox from Mr. Wilson saying, I want to see you in my office at the end of the week. So you're frantic and you're trying to come up with ways and excuses and what can you do, what promises can you make in hopes that you can garner some more time or favor with him. Promises that you're going to quit living the way that you were and you're going to put on a brave face and tell them you're going to pay it back somehow. When you get in his office and the door slams shut, you just fall to pieces and start weeping and pleading with him for mercy. Mr. Wilson raises his hand and he motions for you to be silent. And then he leans across his desk and he says one word to you. Forgiven. All of it is forgiven. Do you think that for the rest of your life you will ever forget the name Carl Wilson? And when someone brings up that name, do you know what the first thing is going to come to your mind about that name? That's the guy who forgave everything. That's the better promise. That every single one of us is going to come to know the Lord as the God who forgave everything. I may not know anything else about this God, but the one thing I do know is that he's forgiven me. And that's the thing. That's the better promise. That all of us are going to come to know God in this way. That we are all forgiven. We all belong to God. This is the better promise. The old covenant was losing sheep left and right. Going off by flockfuls of sheep. Disappearing. Under the new covenant, Jesus says, I'm not even going to lose one. All. From the least to the greatest. Well, what if I out-sin God's forgiveness? 
literally impossible. In fact, the promise of God is it's his forgiveness that's going to keep you coming back. It's the fact that he is the God who has forgiven you that's going to keep drawing your heart to him. The old covenant was where we were constantly reminded we are sinners. The new covenant is where we are constantly reminded we are forgiven. The old covenant is where we were constantly reminded we are sinners, but the new covenant is where we are constantly, daily, now, and forevermore reminded I don't remember your sins anymore. They're all forgiven. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I wonder this morning whether there's someone in your life who needs to hear you make that better promise. I will remember your sins no more. No grudges allowed in this new covenant. What sins are you refusing to let go of? Committed by your children, your spouse, your boss, co-worker, friend, your pastor. Don't just let it go. Go to them and make the promise. I promise to never bring this sin up again. That's what our God has said to us. Can we be those who say it to one another? Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. I wonder this morning. Do you? Is Jesus yours? He has a better ministry. Jesus ministers God to us and us to God. Is he yours? He has a better covenant. Jesus has died and been raised to guarantee that your relationship with the God who made you will never be broken. Do you have him? Do you have Jesus? He has a better promise. On the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. And God has answered the prayer of our great high priest with this eternal promise. I will be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no longer. Praise God. The newer is better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you even now that you are ministering us and our feeble efforts of worship and offering up our praises, our obedience, our listening ears to the Father in a way that is fully pleasing to Him. God, help us to grow in holiness and righteousness and confidence that our sins are forgiven. We pray and trust in Jesus' name. Amen.